Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $20 on the steel MS-162 or MS-170 chainsaw. Real steel. Offer valid through June 30th, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Second hour, Outkick 360 is back alongside Chad Withrow. I'm Jonathan Hutton. PK will join us uh, in the next 30 to 40 minutes or so. Tennessee Power Hour kicks off an hour from now. Titans winning 33-30 over the Seattle Seahawks to get to 1-1 one one on the season. A full and thorough breakdown thorough. of that game thorough is coming is the up. the best way. Thorough That breakdown. is such a great word, Hutton, and it just fully describes <laughs> – what we're going to do to that Tennessee, C- that Tennessee uh, uh, Seattle game. Thorough, thorough. Thorough breakdown. That really surprised myself because I've never referred to the Titans as Tennessee, and I just referred to them as oh. Tennessee, and I tripped myself up saying that because I'm a big – the Titans are the Titans. Tennessee is Tennessee, the Vols. Also thorough, the thoroughbred, Derrick Henry yes. on the road. Told you last week, this is the game plan. Doesn't matter what the score is, the game plan goes through 22. And that's exactly what happened in the second half. That will be continuing uh, to be the plan moving forward. Uh, they're, they're going to run him into the ground. He had 35 carries, a career-high 35 carries, a career-high six catches in that game. Again, we'll, we'll recap that coming up in the third hour of today's show. Will Paul Koharski finally listen to you when you tell him that well, I think he's listening now. Last year, he wanted nothing to do with that part of the conversation, but, but it's true. He, I mean, it was glaring. He wanted nothing to do with it last right year, and he wanted very little to do with it this year. But now you think this is going to be the pivot point I don't where know. he listens? I, uh, I mean, it's undeniable, Chad. I mean, it doesn't matter who's play calling. You turn around and you give it to 22. It's undeniable like the magnificence of Hutton's beard. Oh, thank Both you. equally <laughs> undeniable. <laughs> Which you hated at first, I thought. No, I'm okay with it. I, I just – I don't – I'm not a huge beard guy. Like, beard has to be the defining characteristic of everyone. But I will say that once you grow a beard, it's all anyone wants to talk about. So maybe it is. Um, All we wanted to talk about this weekend was our chat with Spurrier, which was cool. Um, So we had uh, Shane Matthews and Steve Spurrier on the show Saturday for Outkick the Tailgate, which, by the way, you can view every single Saturday morning, 9 a.m. Eastern, right here across the Outkick network. Uh, you follow us on Twitter at Outkick360 for details there. Outkick the coverage and Outkick.com will also have things linked and embedded at the site on Saturday mornings with myself, Chad, and Jill Savage on the road weekly uh, for Outkick the tailgate. Uh, we're back in Nashville this week. I thought we were going to wait till Wednesday to announce this, and then Fox announced it Saturday. So it's out there. It's yeah, gonna- we were told there was this big announcement with Clay on Fox and Friends every Wednesday morning. So we were hesitant to say anything during our show. We, then we signed off on our show. Yeah. We go on the, the Outkick Fox Sports Clay Travis bus and tune into Big Noon Kickoff. And right there, as Clay signs off on his last hit of the day, it says in the bottom with a, with a Vanderbilt logo, next week in Nashville. I'm thinking, oh, okay. So I guess it's safe to say right there on the Big Noon Kickoff broadcast. Georgia, who just dismantled South Carolina last week. They will be on the road. They will be in Nashville. Music City will be their city 
as they take on Vanderbilt this weekend. Well, here's the sad uh, thing about, well. um, and, and we'll start talking a lot about this week because this is a big one for us because this is our, our home outkick the tailgate here in Nashville. But it is going to be, and I, I don't think I'm exaggerating, 90-10 Georgia? Easy. In the stadium? Easily. And I don't blame the Vandy fan who does not want no. to go see that, but – the weird thing is, how do we connect with the Georgia fan at the tailgate on Vandy's <laughs> campus? Because we could sit here until we're blue in the face talking about, hey, Vandy fans, come see us. But what we really want are is the majority of people that will be around the stadium, and that will be black and red, not black and gold. So we need to connect with both Georgia and Vandy people uh, this Saturday for Outkick the Tailgate. Looking forward to it. Uh, the fun time with the, the show. Fun time with Jill Savage in Gainesville. And Looking forward to Nashville this weekend. So Spurrier, all he wanted to talk about uh, prior to coming on was golf. He was talking about his uh, his golf game a bit. And he also discussed the heat in Gainesville. It was even very hot for the ball coach on, uh, on Saturday. A couple of big takeaways from uh, our conversation with Spurrier. I loved Hutton when you asked him – you know what? Uh, who, who's the who's the old ball coach the guy now? With guts. Who's the head ball coach? The guy who has guts and is a head coach and a play caller. And he mentioned um, mentioned Gus Malzahn. I brought up Josh Heupel, and he said, "Yeah, yeah, Josh Josh uh, Heupel doing good job. You know that Tennessee guy wins a ball game. So that's bottom line. Josh guy wins a ball game. <laughs> he's right. Before anyone talks about, it. and he's he's spot on right with it, uh, which was great. Hutton set me up to tell the story of men, and I could tell well, at this are- moment that. Coach Spurrier was... Oh, see, I couldn't see him because you were blocking me from the yeah, guest, yeah. which is just how it is. Right. Um, I didn't I, know he was ready to go. I could tell that he was hot and probably ready to get out of there at this point. So I tell the story, and I did it as quickly as possible. I, could, I, I rolled through it very quickly about, you know, the story goes like this. Hutton and I are at SEC Media Days. We're young guys. We're in our 20s. We're interviewing Tim Couch. We're recording an interview for a radio station. I love that you remember who we were with. I forgot that. We're there with Tim Couch and St- Steve Spurrier and guys like this, these legends, they have throngs of people following them everywhere they go. He's going from one interview room to another. He's got cameras on him. He's got spotlights on him. People are trying to ask him questions. And this whole horde of people are walking towards us outside of a ballroom in Hoover, Alabama. And Spurrier just looks up like no one's around him, sees us conduct an interview, and looks us all up and down and just says, man, and keeps on walking. It was as if he approved of it. It was okay. We could continue the interview. We said, Coach, and he kept walking. Was, I, tell him, I tell him that story, and Spurrier's like, yep, yep, men. Men, yep. yep. No, you know, and I got done with it. He's just, yep, Hey, men. Yep. Hey, men. Yep. And, I, I, and I was, that was it. I was, I was like, all right, well, Coach, thanks for swinging by. Appreciate I, I it. I thought it was hilarious how he answered it because we got him to, I got him to say men again. Like, and I remember in the moment, Chad, looking at you, because we were, what, like 25, 26 years old yeah. probably, uh, thinking – did he just he just called us men? <laughs> well, it's one that we'll never forget because it was my first ever face to face interaction with Steve Spurrier. This yeah. is my first time interviewing uh, Coach Spurrier, and he was great. Uh, he was he was he was cool. He was very gracious with his time. He was cool. You know, he could have been uh, much more of a curmudgeon about it. We were, uh, you know, out on the asphalt in the, the, uh, what I would assume was, you know, uh, uh, close to the surface of the sun level heat and humidity uh, throughout the show, and he sat there with us for what ten to fifteen minutes. And, yep. uh, and talk ball, and, and it, was, it was great. I also loved how he described his role as ambassador, and he almost made a joke. He said, yeah, I'm ambassador of a University of Florida. I, I like that. I like that title, ambassador. That's what I am, an ambassador. They give me an office. And well, we asked him what I he was up, up to, to the game. After, afterwards because he did not come with a group of people to, to our broadcast spot, which was not great. I mean, we were, He didn't have a handler or anything. We were not near himself. the stadium. We were behind the baseball stadium in center field. It was a 35-someone – 
mapped it. It was a 35-minute walk to, to the ben Hill Griffin Stadium. From that where we that will be the furthest we'll ever be from a stadium yeah. on an SEC campus. You can mark that down for sure. Um, but he, he showed up by himself. Uh, did the big noon kickoff show with Clay and then joined us immediately and could not have been nicer and cooler. He was, he's exactly, uh, I, I describe people uh, with how I would, how I view them like through the TV, like Bobby Bowden growing up in the 90s. Bobby Bowden had a certain persona to him. Steve Spurrier did as well. He's exactly how you would imagine him to be, which I think is very good. Uh, he lives up to the hype because you envision him being the head ball coach, the, you know, with all the, the one-liners. That's exactly what he does. He sits there and mumbles to himself and gives you these little one-liners and plays up to the crowd. It's perfect. And it, it, it's how I would envision Kiffin to be, right? Kiffin is in that same mold. Um, the, the whole uh, inside jokes with Saban, we never get to see. We never get to see that yeah. on the outside, right? Uh, these guys put it out there, and I, 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 I'm all here for it. I, I think college I'm, football needs more of that personality. Absolutely, and I'm laughing because you're right. He is exactly as you would expect. Uh, and even sitting right next to him, I just couldn't help but just stare at him and smile because even the way you, you saw him on the sideline yeah. with kind of yeah, – he's a very energetic dude. He's jittery. And he, you know, we envision him throwing the visor on the <laughs> sideline and getting upset and pulling the headset down around his neck and – you know, yelling at someone the whole time, but he's constantly in motion, and it's like his mouth is constantly moving. So, if we were asking a question, you know, it would, we'd be talking to him, and you yeah. could just see him. He's processing everything so quickly. Yep, 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 yep. Oh, yep, Cougs. Uh, yep, Washington State. Yep, Cougs. Oh, and you could see almost just a smart Alec in Spurrier wanting to come out. There was something about, oh, yeah, they got Washington State. Oh, yeah, the Cougs. Yep, yep, been up there before. And it's like he wants to make a crack about Washington State, but he, he holds back. He wants back to jab, yeah. On doing it. He also was on Big Noon Kickoff with Clay, and they were on with the guys on set uh, for that show, which include Bob Stoops, who's a new member of that show. And Hutton, we were in break at that point, and we're watching Coach Spurrier on with Clay, and they go, I hear Clay say, hey, Coach Stoops wants to ask you a question, Coach, so we're going to hear him now. And then there's about a seven-second delay where he's listening, and then Spurrier just jumps in and goes, hey, Bobby, you got that coaching staff ready for that SC job already? Ready for that SC job? And just immediately has the one-liner for his former assistant coach. It was just terrific getting a chance to catch up with, uh, with Steve Spurrier. And, and you're right, Hudden. You summed it up well in that everything you expect about him, that is 100% exactly who he is when you meet him. Yeah, very genuine. He also said on his way out, he stands up, and I could tell, you know, I was sweating the whole time. Hutton, about 30 minutes in, started sweating. Uh, Jill would not admit this, but she was sweating too. I'll, I'll out her as well. Uh, and then Spurrier, after about five minutes of sitting there, I could see the sweat starting to come off the brow for Steve Spurrier. And he stands up and shakes our hand on his way out and says, they need to get y'all some AC. <laughs> so the last Thank thing you. Steve Spurrier told me was, they need to get y'all some AC that over here. That will be here. the hottest we'll be all year. We'll be, we'll be good. This good. We're about to hit the fall months. It's going to cool off. Look, I'm not complaining. We're going to need the heat. I, I, I am not complaining. We get to go on the road and go to these SEC places and uh, get to get a, a, a taste of the town, if you will, the night before, get to be around these big games. So I will sit on the surface of the sun and sweat on camera for three hours if that's what it takes 
to be a part of this because we are excited about Outkick the Tailgate. We're excited about what's coming up. We're excited about being home in Nashville this weekend for Vanderbilt and Georgia. It's going to be a fun fall. So hope a lot of people that uh, watch this show, whether you watch right now live, whether you watch on clips later, however you do so, Hopefully, you'll, you'll swing by on Saturday for our tailgates. It's going to be fun. We're going to have some cool special guests, too. Uh, Jill Savage, the host of that show with us, she signed up for FanDuel on Saturday and joined us. FanDuel.com slash OK360, the $1,000 risk-free bet, which is very simple. You sign up at the website, FanDuel.com slash OK360, and with your first deposit, you make a risk-free bet. It can be up to $1,000. If you lose your first bet... You get that back in site credit. Whatever you bet, you'll get that back in site credit so you can bet again. It's absolutely risk-free. You can sign up today, fanduel.com slash OK360. Chad, as you like to say, when you see an offer like this from FanDuel... You got to take it. I don't know why you haven't taken it before, but you got to take it now. Maybe you just turned 21, and that's why you haven't taken it before. Maybe today's your 21st birthday, and in between taking 21 shots on your 21st birthday, you can sign up for FanDuel and <laughs> Do take it, it before. Offer. So By the way, function. I would not, as someone who once attempted that at 21, I, <laughs> would, not, did you get to? I would not attempt it. I got over. I hit the over. <laughs> Wow. On 21 and nearly died. So that's a PSA for everyone out there. Don't do it. It's not worth probably needing to end up in the hospital. That's uh, I'll advise that to my children and anyone else who tries it. Just don't try it. Also, our first ever parlay as part of Outkick the Tailgate hit. We had our highest confidence pick. And Jill Savage, who says does not know anything about gambling or how to gamble, she nailed her first pick with the under in the Iowa game. Uh Hutton, you nailed the we uh, the under in Penn State Auburn. Yep. It didn't. It wasn't easy. It was I was close. sweating there for a, a bit. Whenever they had the fumble that was returned for a touchdown that was called back, thankfully, uh, that that held the under for Auburn and Penn State in, in Happy Valley. And what was a great atmosphere for the wideout? First wideout, uh, what in eighteen months? Yeah, two uh, years. Ha- yeah, Happy Valley, fantastic atmosphere and a great setting for college football. And I hit the Cincinnati with the points. That's right, Indiana. There are two wins yesterday across the NFL, two teams that stood out to me under the radar uh, for week two in the National Football League. It's not the Titans who went on the road and won at Seattle. It's a big win where the Bills also got to one and one. Baltimore now one and one. The Browns are one and one. I'm not going to mention those teams that were expected to be good. There are two other teams right now that I thought stood out to me with wins yesterday that – continue to show some promising results early in September and what that could set up for as we get into the second quarter of the season just a couple of weeks away. It's all straight ahead on Outkick 360. There are seven 2-0 teams right now in the NFL. Those seven, the Cardinals, the Panthers, the Broncos, the Raiders, the Rams, the 49ers, and the Buccaneers. Welcome back, Outkick 360, across the Outkick Network. We're broadcasting from the 6th and Peabody Studios in downtown Music City, Nashville, Tennessee. Alongside Chad Withrow, I'm Jonathan Hutton with Yeehaw Beer and Old Smoky Moonshine. Um, Chad, there are two teams with wins yesterday that stood out to me that I think will be treated under the radar despite one of them being... Uh, a team that's out there in the spotlight on a weekly basis. And, and I'll start with that team, the Dallas Cowboys. 
getting the win over the Chargers, which is a, a I'm I'm high on the Chargers. Paul is as well. Look, um, Justin Herbert is doing some really solid play at quarterback to begin this season. He's not going to get a lot of accolades from yesterday's performance because their offense put up 17 points. He was not great in the red zone specifically with some opportunities. But this is a quarterback that's fun to watch in an offense that is eventually going to start hitting on all cylinders. They're close. But here's Dallas yesterday with uh, a chance to build on what they did in week one. Um, Despite their loss to Tampa, we all felt they played very well. Uh, Zerline redeemed himself with the game winner in this game. And then there's Greg Pollard, who is doing solid work as the backup running back, but really he's almost a 1B option with Zeke Elliott. Who, and Elliott ran well. I think the, the storyline might be Pollard is doing better and giving more production than Elliott, but it's not like Elliott really fell off. He didn't perform well in week one. Yesterday he was fine. But they have this one-two punch now out of the backfield that – allows Dallas to beat you in a variety of ways offensively. It all starts with Dak Prescott at quarterback. But if they're running the football to the extent they did yesterday, controlling the clock, controlling the line of scrimmage, they'll be fine. And yesterday's win over L.A. is is interesting. The Chargers are just their own worst enemy. They play in a ton of close games. The NFL is built on close games in the fourth quarter. The Chargers are at the top of the list. They are the poster child for what the NFL wants every single team to be within one possession in the fourth quarter. The L.A. Chargers are that team. They're either trailing or they lead, but it's only by one possession. And they had two touchdowns wiped off the board due to penalties um, where Herbert's stats would have been much better. They also added 12 penalties for 99 yards in the game, just crippling drives, crippling penalties that killed them. Um, And then they faced Dan Quinn's Cowboys defense that is better than expected. And the big surprise is they're already mixing and matching and putting players in different positions to scheme up things, which I love. If If a defense is just adequate, if they're below par, what can you do? What can you do to get the most out of a player immediately? What can you do to get production this week as you wait on guys to build and, and feel and to uh, come along into certain roles? An example would be Micah Parsons, who's drafted to play linebacker, and they lined him up at defensive end yesterday. Bravo, Dan Quinn and the Dallas Cowboys for figuring out a way to get the most out of top draft picks. Uh, where you get production from value that you're going to have long-term. That's why you draft him in the first round. I mean, that, yeah. that, that would be my expectation for first and second round picks. Um, the, the, the Cowboys are figuring out ways to get the most out of that. So that, that's great. It, it was an encouraging win for Dallas to get to one and one. I was expecting good things from the Cowboys yesterday after what I saw down in Tampa on that first Thursday night of the season. Dak Prescott looked great in that game. Uh, Zeke Elliott did not look good in game one, looked good yesterday. He's starting to come along. But you hit on something, Hutton, was the Cowboys' defense. I wasn't expecting a defensive performance like that. And finding a way to get Micah Parsons involved, Leighton Vander Esch, I know had a, a sack or two, had a good game. Uh, that, to me, was the surprising element for the Cowboys I was not expecting was good defense in that game. And uh, that's a huge win for them. 
56-yard field goal mm-hmm. by Greg Zerline as time expires to win it. And that game was on the road yesterday in L.A. with the Chargers having their first home game at SoFi Stadium. Uh, the, the other team that stood out to me to get to 2-0, and Carolina Panthers. Um, I think they're the surprise team. They were, a, they were a surprise pick, really, for a lot of people going into the season. But even though they're the surprise pick, they're still surprising with their play, especially Sam Darnold, who's doing things that we just haven't seen him do at the NFL level because he's playing with the Jets, who suck. And now he's with an offense that is, again, putting him in the best situation to have success. They're not loading up and trying to fire downfield all the time. They're taking what's there. He's delivering accurate passes to Christian McCaffrey and allowing his best player to do the work for him. He just didn't have that guy in New York. And they didn't have the, the, the offensive mentality that they're taking now with uh, some of the young talent that they surrounded him with. He's actually throwing receivers open. I think that's the best way to term what, what Darnold is doing. So bravo to Sam Darnold through two weeks. 2-0, uh, and oh, which, by the way, is the most wins he had last season as the Jets quarterback. He now has matched that through the first two weeks of his Carolina Panthers tenure. Not saying that who they've won against is anything to, to you know, parade around the city with. I mean, they beat the Jets in week one, and they beat at what was a bad performance from New Orleans in week two, who looked nothing like the Saints team uh, that, that won last week and took down Green Bay. Jameis Winston was very pedestrian in this game, and uh, his head coach, Sean Payton, stood at the podium after the game and said, this is one of the worst game plans I've put together. It's on me because I didn't do a very good job against the defense we face today. And, and here's the other glaring issue with the Saints. If the Saints don't come up and, and have, and we'll put this in fantasy football terms, but it correlates here. If the Saints defense doesn't show up on a weekly basis and they're not a top five score in fantasy football, meaning they're holding you to 10 to 17 points on the scoreboard, they've got four or five sacks in a game, they're producing a turnover or two, uh, they're holding field goals instead of touchdowns. They're not winning. This is a this is a, de- a team that is set up by their defense, and then you don't ask Jameis to do anything but protect the football. You want Jameis Winston to do what Mac Jones is doing in New Orleans. Mac Jones through two weeks, no interceptions, no fumbles. That's a huge win for the New England Patriots. It's exactly what you want from a rookie starter. I'm not saying Jameis has to be treated like a rookie, but you want him to dial it back a little bit. And he did that in week one. You know, his best play, many said, was the play where he threw the football away in week one. Uh, in this game, three and outs, no consistency, no rhythm, and the Saints lost this game. And Carolina, I should say, won this game easily, 26-7 to the final score. Jameis Winston may be the feel-good story, comeback story of week one with his performance against the Packers. In week two against the Panthers, 11 for 22, 111 yards, two interceptions, no touchdowns, QBR 21.4, which immediately sounds alarm bells for me because of this. And I like that Sean Payton is falling on the sword on this and and talking about the bad game plan and everything else. But what was the issue with Jameis Winston in Tampa? It was turnovers. It was inconsistency. It was close to 400 yards passing one game, looking great, and it was an awful performance the next game. Absolutely. And we are two games into his tenure as Saints starting quarterback, and we got a great, efficient performance against the Packers in a blowout win, and we got a horrendous, 
inefficient performance in a blowout loss in week two. That's not a good trend. I know it's two weeks, two games, but I immediately have some concern about Jameis Winston based on this game. And here's the other thing. Alvin Kamara had eight rushes for five yards. Chad, they had that, that was one. That is crazy. That was nearly the same amount in, in yards what they had in first downs. They had six first downs the entire game. That's tough to do. In today's NFL, where offenses and quarterbacks just drive the ship for almost every team, that is extremely difficult to accomplish. Yep, and they, well, they did it. <laughs> Sean Payton said, we... Congrats. Sean Payton Congrats, said... Congrats, Saints, you did it. You, you started you, by saying, it. that is one of the worst offensive performances we've had around here in a while, and it starts with me. He said he didn't like the game plan after they got going, uh, and I pretty much realized that against that defense, it wasn't working. No rhythm. No, no consistency whatsoever. Ellie Sylvia, our production assistant from New Orleans, that's the closest she's ever come to just walking out of the broadcast <laughs> when we were just laughing at the Saints. Did she, she remember we, we called well, Matt Corral a Heisman? A, actually, she looked outside here in Nashville in our studio and saw that it was raining <laughs> and decided to stay. And so that's the only thing that, that's the only thing that kept her here uh, was that it was raining outside. Uh, some honorable mention teams. I, I mentioned Mac Jones and the Patriots. I, I didn't include them in this recap because they played the Jets. <laughs> the Jets, Zach Wilson, 15 of 23 for 132 yards passing, four interceptions. His first two attempts picked off in this game by the, by the New England Patriots. And again, just comparing the two rookies, Mac Jones does not put the football in harm's way. He protects the rock and, and just he gets you within a score in the fourth quarter. He didn't need it here. But as long as he protects the football and you have time of possession, you're going to be in games playing in the system. And uh, it's something they can build around. Zach Wilson, it's not all his problem. I mean, it's his problem. But he's... Oh, it's going to be his problem. He's not... No one's protecting him. Oh, I know. I mean, he is getting lit up. I'm saying be a part of the Jets organization is going to be a problem for him. He is getting lit up. And, And you're right about the Jets organization. You can say this about them. They are consistent in how terrible they are. They're 0-2 this season. They started 0-13 last season. They were 1-7 to begin the year in 2019. And in 2018, they were 4-12. In 2017, they finished the season 5-11. At least they're terrible and they're letting everyone know about it. They are nowhere close to climbing out of this hole. Well, and also... Congrats to Zach Wilson for getting the talking points down of how you handle getting booed, especially in New York City. It's early in his career to already have mastered this, but him saying, I don't, they have every right to boo, and I would have booed too, it's the perfect response. If you're going to be a New York City area athlete, you got to have that type of mindset when it comes to getting booed. So it's unfortunate that he's already having to talk about that, having already been mm-hmm. booed in week two, but... At least he's got the talking points down. I also want to point out the Denver Broncos. I don't know how good they are. I, I think the Broncos are the Auburn of the NFL. I have a lot of questions about them, but it's hard to argue how they've started. It's, you know, they get ripped for who they've played to begin the season, where they played the Giants and the Jaguars. But last I checked, those games will count in their overall record. And they're 2-0, and and they win both games on the road. So... That, that, the fact that they've done this on the road to begin the season stands out more than the fact that they're 2-0. I, 
I want to give them props for that. That's 17 straight losses, by the way, for the Jacksonville Jaguars, who lost yesterday 23-17. And, uh, Chad, that's um, 11 of those 17 losses have been by 10 or more points. So uh, we, we discussed how bad the Jets are. This is a struggling Jags team where we mentioned this last week and it remains true. The good news about Jacksonville is their best player is Trevor Lawrence. The bad news this year about Jacksonville is their best player is Trevor Lawrence. And he's got his growing pains. There's, there's not a lot of optimism to the point where I need to pull this up off my phone. Oh, where he's already. No, I need to pull this up because the, the Jacksonville organization tweeted out after week two a photo of all the players locking arms for the national anthem. And it says, hang in there with us. We're going to get better. That's in bold. That's how bad of a team they are to begin the season that they have to put this out on social media like it's some, hey, Jags fans, hang with us. We promise we're going to improve. Hang in there. And you just look at them and go, we've, if I'm a fan of Jacksonville, I'm thinking, we've bought into this before. Tell me that I shouldn't buy tickets to your product without actually telling me that I shouldn't buy tickets to your product this year. That statement right there is exactly how you do that. Then when they, you're, then they when you're two Meyer. games into a season, when you're an eighth of the way, well, less than an eighth of a way into a 17-game season, and you're declaring to the fans that you need to hang with us, hang in there, that to me is a clear-cut sign that I'm not going to be attending Jacksonville Jaguar games moving forward. And then Urban Meyer coming out and, and basically saying, we want the fans to, to bear – how does he say it? Well, so the, the headline is uh, – it's in bold. Hang in there with us. We're going to get better. Yeah. And then it quotes Urban Meyer with this photo, and it says, the one thing about Jacksonville in the 904, go to sleep <laughs> – Go to sleep knowing there's not going to be any group working harder to get this thing flipped. <laughs> I mean, if I'm – first off, I'm a Jacksonville fan. I'm probably trying to go to bed not thinking about <laughs> them at all. That's not the thing I want to be thinking about as I lay my head down at night is how hard the Jacksonville Jaguar coaching staff is, is working. But these are two stories back-to-back. Zach Wilson already being asked about the booze with the Jets – and Urban Meyer and the Jacksonville JAG organization coming out and saying, hang in there with us, it's going to get better. These are not statements or no. questions you want to be answering after two weeks of the season. I saw a lot of this also, Saquon Barkley, when the Giants lost on Thursday night, immediately went on the offensive. This is not like every other year. This is not going to be the same story. We're not going to be terrible again like these other 0-2 starts. I think it's five straight years. Five straight years the Giants have opened 0-2 to start the season, and Saquon Barkley's already saying it's not going to be the same thing. We see this a lot of times. It's, it's never good this early in the season when you've been bad, when you're making statements like this. At least, though, Jacksonville's just out in front of it and basically admitting we're bad, we're terrible, but it's going to get better. Well, it has to get better. Uh, it, it, it has to. You're right. It has to. Um, I'm also I'm looking at uh, Denver. Why I called them the Auburn of the NFL to me is I don't know because their colors. Well, <laughs> I, I don't know, Chad. What I'm if what I'm seeing is a mirage, or if it is a good football team that's coming together with strong structural quarterback play from Teddy Bridgewater. And let me give you an example. The example would be Jerry Judy, who did not play in this game against Jacksonville. So they're down their top possession receiver. 
they get big play big playmakers like Cortland Sutton, but their possession, their volume guy is Jerry Judy. Well, Sutton steps up. They have um, Noah Fant at tight end who stepped up. And then they have Tim Patrick, who has been like this trade bait player in the offseason that they decided not to trade away, who steps in and filled the gap and did really well against Jacksonville's defense yesterday. So is that a consistency that we'll see moving forward? Uh, Is this a team that can continue to run the football at the pace they're doing it? Um, a, a defense that's going to stay healthy, that part we can't predict. Uh, but this, this is a team that has won two on the road, and now they get a chance to return home. I'm going to pull up their schedule because I, I'm interested to see when they actually begin divisional play, and it might be this week. Well, and that's, that's the one issue I have with this team. No, they get to host the Jets. Is, they get to host yeah. the Jets to begin the season. So they can start 3-0 they before will be hosting 3-0. Baltimore. They will be 3-0, and then Baltimore should beat them, but who knows? 3-0 Broncos, weren't expecting that. The problem I have with the Broncos is six of their games this year are going to come against the Chiefs, the Chargers, the Raiders. Well, but they also have to play – keep in mind, they're playing the AFC North because that's what you're seeing with the Raiders to open the season with back-to-back games against the AFC North. So the Broncos will have the Ravens and the Steelers, and I'm guessing their schedule probably lays out where you'll have that in back-to-back weeks, just like the, the other teams in the division – had the Steelers and the Ravens in back-to-back weeks. Yeah, it's it's a good start. I just still don't see any way that sure. they're – when you look at those teams, that they're even on par with the other three teams in their division, much less at least two of those AFC North teams. AFC South will be playing the NFC West. The Titans got a big win on the uh, in the Pacific Northwest yesterday against Seattle, coming up in about 22 minutes. We will begin that discussion on the Tennessee Titans getting to 1-1. One one. The Indianapolis Colts are 0-2, uh, dropping yesterday's game by 3, 27-24 the final to the Los Angeles Rams at home. Uh, Denver has started 2-0 and on the road. Indy has started 0-2 with both games at home. And now they travel to Nashville in Week 3, uh, where the Titans can send their divisional rival to 0-3 to begin the season. Carson Wentz. Uh, the jury is still out on his ankle issues, but we should say it's it's ankles, plural, uh, according to Frank Reich, who says he's actually dealing with both ankles being hurt. Uh, sprained one yesterday, could not return to the game for the final two possessions of that game. Um, jury's out on if he's going to be able to play, but either way, his game is affected by this injury because a lot of what he does is on the move, uh, the Titans have a chance to keep him contained and in the pocket, if not by their pass rush, by the injury itself. Um, and, and that's a nice, impressive win for the Rams on the road where the Colts were, were holding tough. And then uh, the Rams came up with some big plays. And it started early in the game. Indy could not be the alpha. They could not be the hammer to the Rams' nail at the one-yard line. Four straight runs at the goal line and the Rams stuffed all of them. That was early in the first quarter, and that's kind of how that game played out throughout. Yeah, and for uh, you know Indy, I was thinking when the Titans game is going on and they're losing, next week's game, Titans hosting Indy in Nashville, that's setting up to be a loser-go-home early in the season type scenario if both were looking at 0-3. Yeah. Now I look at it with the way the Titans came back and won is opportunity for the Titans – 
to take a two-game lead already that early in the season against what should be your biggest competition in the AFC South. And Indianapolis just giving themselves a chance in that second half surprised me, the way that game started. They failed to get the, the one yard that you mentioned. Uh, they're down two scores in the second half. I was expecting more uh, from the Rams offensively, but Indy then started to show, hey, this is a good defense. We've seen that last year. We saw that in the second half of this game. Indy was set up for a, a big-time upset win, but couldn't finish the I deal. I also want to make this point, uh, and final thought on Indy as we go into game week. Chad, keep in mind, this is not going to be your typical backup quarterback that now all of a sudden gets first-team reps. Jacob Eason was getting a, all of the first-team reps. Um, he was splitting that with Ellinger in the preseason. While they didn't know if Wentz was going to be available, they were comfortable enough to stick with Jacob Eason as that option. Uh, he did not play all that great in the final two possessions thrown in there, but now with another full week of practice and a game plan around his qualities, his strengths, uh, what could happen there? Again, Wentz is not ruled out. Uh, but at best, I'd say he'd be questionable as the team comes to Nashville on Sunday, uh, dealing with an ankle injury, and he could not return uh, due to that ankle sprain uh, where results are still pending. They are, if, they're pen, if they're not pending, uh, the reports have not been out there on exactly what the issues are. When we come back, Hutton, I know that every single conference in college football, their fans think that their officials are the worst in college football. They're not this weekend. That belongs to the SEC who has the worst officials in college football. And there are two examples as to why. We have to discuss. Outkick 360 rolls on across the Outkick network. Tennessee Power Hour is 12 minutes away. Titans and Seahawks, a thorough recap headed your way as we broadcast live from 6th and Peabody in downtown Nashville. This is Outkick 360 with Yeehaw Beer and Old Smoky Moonshine. Uh, Koharski should be here uh, by the Tennessee Power Hour, so we'll recap Titans and Seahawks with him. Chad, right now we recap some bad officiating in the SEC. Do we start with what happened in Memphis, or do you go somewhere else first? Let's go to Memphis first. (laughs) That statement said by no one ever, but that's where we're going to go right now. Memphis first on the list. Uh, Mississippi State and Memphis, um, I mean, you want to talk about being upset about two things happening on one play that go against you. So Mississippi State punts. What I think, the ball is downed. Mississippi State guy comes in. The ball's touched by one Mississippi State player. He comes in, slides in with a knee down, and puts his hand on top of the ball and then takes his hand off the ball. Well, the heads-up play by the Memphis player, Calvin Austin, who comes in, scoops it up, goes 94 yards for a touchdown. Now, the SEC came back in a statement and says this. At 5.58 in the fourth quarter of the Mississippi State at Memphis game, Mississippi State punts the ball downfield where the loose ball touches multiple kicking team players before a receiving team player picks up the ball and returns it for a touchdown. The kick ball remains live by rule since it was not possessed by a player, nor did it come to rest inbounds with no player attempting to secure it. On the play, the back judge gave a single stop-the-clock signal immediately after the receiving team possessed the ball. That inadvertent single signal aspect of the play is reviewable, and replay should have stopped the game to review for a potential inadvertent signal. The subsequent review would have placed the ball at the spot where the signal was made. The second part of this is that Memphis had two players on the field with the same number that should have been a penalty. 
on Memphis. None of that is seen. Mike Leach does not review it. The league does not review the play. No one spots the two players until later. Touchdown Memphis. They end up winning by two points. Mississippi State got hosed in that scenario. Yep. Now, the second part of this is Auburn at Penn State, where I remember there was like a Missouri-Colorado game back in the day where there was a fifth down uh, on a play that won the game where they were given five plays. In this instance, Penn State was given three plays, and they were told it was fourth down. And arguing with them. So there was an incomplete pass on second down. They did not review it. They argue with them. James Franklin's arguing, and they have to send the punter on to punt on third down because the officials overcounted and had Penn State with the ball in fourth down. James Franklin had a great response, which was no response. Was asked about it at halftime. Said, did you get an explanation on the miscounting the downs? And he just clenched his jaw and stared and just started shaking his how, head and walked into the how locker does he, room. Can he, he can review that, right? Yes. Why did he not? Don't know. I guess he's in the moment you're just going through the motions of the down well, and, and distance. I, I, I but, see, it, but if you're a play caller, you're setting up plays for, you know, okay, if we get four yards here, what am I calling on third down? So there would be someone in the headset that would be saying, hey, they skipped a down. Well, it's – I don't – this is what bothers me about both these things. There are so many people administering a game. Yeah. There are people that are calling the game. For there sure. are people in different booths overhead. There are people watching on television. There are people everywhere. There is no excuse to miss something like what happened in Memphis uh, – the Memphis-Mississippi State game. Uh, if there's two players that never – it was amazing how quickly the ESPN crew saw that. They come back from break and they're showing the two guys the numbers – on there that you have to have a way to signal that down to look at it because we have so many delays in in college football for everything and i'm watching you get tired of watching all the reviews for these things that don't really matter yet they don't get signaled down to review something that really really matters and a crazy play like that a 94 yard guy surprises everyone by running in after the ball has been touched yep. and runs it for a touchdown you have to see everything on that play before an extra point is attempted. Everything <laughs> before the next play. You could hold up the extra point for a couple of minutes until you finally buzz down there and see something that's wrong. Inadvertent whistle. Did he really down it? What happened? The two guys are the same number. you got to find everything on there and review everything before attempting the extra point. The miscounting the down thing is just inexcusable on every level. I mean, the, the TV crew notices. Everyone in the stadium notices that it should be third down and not fourth down. I, I don't know how that's not – that's – look, James Franklin well, should have reviewed it or done something, I guess, but it's not on James Franklin to count. That's the official's job too. Well, right, and everybody – like I just get the sense that on that, on that play or the, the, the skipped down, everybody just assumed that the other person was right. Like they had screwed up in their own head, right? Like I'm, I'm trying to think of an umpire behind the plate that loses count of the of the count. Is it three and two or three and one? I can't remember, right? Because there's been a, a pitching change or whatever. They have the clicker, an injury. Yeah, but the, the clicker may be off, right? Yep. And so what? You ask a question to your fellow umpire. No one in that in that crew at, thought to ask, like, "Hey, are we sure it's the, the? Are we sure the chains are correct? Even the chains had to be screwed up." Uh, again, you know what I mean? it's, it's inexcusable that that many people. It's one thing for one guy to right. mess it up. 
It's nothing for not one person on his crew, not one person in a TV truck, not one person somewhere in the stadium to stop it and, and get it right with something so easy to get right. Wes Patrick on the YouTube chat says, Chad, I thought, you, I, I, thought I knew you better, Chad. I always thought you were a fan of the post-game apology statement that means absolutely nothing for the outcome of the game. <laughs> LOL, what a joke. I mean, if you're Mississippi State after that, getting that apology almost makes it worse when the league completely admits fault. Oh, and immediately, fault. immediately they, they issue the apology and how that, that play should have been officiated. But, hey, big win for Memphis. It was. Regardless yeah. of how it happened, big win for Memphis. Absolutely. Um, also, out on the taunting penalties yes. for the NFL. Also ridiculous, the taunting penalties and how that's being enforced right now. Coming up, the Tennessee Power Hour. The Titans win on the road in Seattle. Hey, it's Jonathan Hutton. Thanks for listening to Outkick 360. Be sure to subscribe to the show to have the latest podcast delivered to you each and every day. And give us five stars. It helps us grow our network and provide you with more great podcasts like this one.